welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, September 12th, we're studying Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 to 57. In today's text, the Lord provides for his people who have been healed from leprous diseases to be declared clean once again and to be readmitted to the life of the community and to the life of the tabernacle. The Lord also gives instructions for making the distinction between clean and unclean in Israelite homes. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's going to be back. Pastor Kilgo, talk to us about the book of Leviticus. What's been going on in this book? What are the themes we need to be aware of? What do we need to? What kind of context should we know for chapter fourteen? Well, I think the the biggest context is we're in the middle of this kind of the, Leviticus has like these sub books almost, and this is this sub book of um, like cleansings and whatnot that are going to be going on, and it's going to conclude in fifteen, um, and that the whole thing is basically prepping you for um, the day of atonement. Like chapter sixteen, Leviticus is one of these. It's one of the more important chapters. It has the, the strongest uh, connections into the New Testament and the sacrifice of Christ. Obviously, the whole thing is a picture of him. Um, and, and so this is, this is all leading up to that. Um, what's going to be kind of sitting in the background of that Day of Atonement, uh, the, all these different cleansings that are going on. And previous to this, too, you had um, the, the two priests that, and I'm blanking on their name right now, but the two priests that, uh, that die because they go into the temple of the Lord. Um, uh, Nadab and Abihu. There, thank you. Nadab and Abihu go into the into the temple um, without being properly prepared, and this is prior, actually, to giving a lot of the requirements for that. And so, a lot of what goes on in Leviticus then after that is prescribing the things that are necessary for coming before the Lord in. Uh, in holiness and in cleanliness, these are the the big terms in Leviticus: holy, unholy, or common, clean and unclean. And so, uh, the Lord is giving these these directions on how this is going to work for different groups. And one of the big groups that we're dealing with today is the lepers. So, like yesterday was the um, the how how do you figure out who's a leper and who's not a leper, basically? And now, once you've figured out who's a leper, what do you do with them? And this is going to be explaining that. Right. So this is now, if if those who have been diagnosed with some kind of leprous skin disease, and I think particularly in chapter 14, the one that is in view is the last one that was described in verses 40 and following of chapter 13, where the leprosy breaks out on the head particularly, such that the entire person is now leprous. If that person is now healed, 
how do you re-involve him into the life of the community of Israel and also then into the life of the tabernacle so that he can partake of the Lord's holiness in a way that, as was not the case for Nadab and Abihu, we want this person to be able to partake of the Lord's holiness in a way that won't kill him. And so we, we see the Lord being gracious here in providing for that readmittance for the person who has been healed. And so once again, we're not really dealing so much with medical things here as we are with theological realities. Right. And this is going to be one of the things, you know, you, you can read these and maybe think, well, this is not that big of a deal. But then you get like into the Gospels, you get a, a couple of times where Jesus is dealing directly with lepers and he gives them various commands such as go and show yourself to the priest. Like what's going on there? Well, that that has as its background all of this. So when Jesus says that, all of this is in view on what the leper is going to need to do in order to actually come back into the, not only the community life of the people, but also the worship life of the people and come before the Lord to pray and offer sacrifices. And so that's, I mean, the, these are more important texts than we, than we realize. And then on top of all that, the, uh, the, the leprosy being a kind of a general stand-in in a lot of instances for sin itself um, uh, brings a lot of liveliness to this for us. Like, we, we may not be a leper or have a leprous disease per se, but we are uh, leprous in our sin, and we need to have the same sort of purification stuff going on through Christ. So that's in view, too. Sure, yeah, Leviticus 14 is a, a huge chapter to keep in mind as we think about the background for those many occasions in the Gospels where Jesus encounters someone with leprosy and brings healing, and then does, as you say, give the instructions to go and show yourselves to the priests. Just, and I know we haven't read it yet, but just one thing that that is a pretty key contrast between Leviticus 14 and what Jesus does in the Gospels is that for the priests in Leviticus 14, they can, they've been taught how to diagnose and so then declare what is clean or unclean. And here they're going to, to be able to go through the correct sacrifices and rituals so that the person can be declared clean once again. But there's no power of healing here, which is something where Jesus surpasses what is given here, is that he actually does the healing, not only the making clean, but the actual healing is in his power that's not in view here in Leviticus. Right, yeah, so Leviticus 13 tells you how to diagnose, Leviticus 14 tells you how to bring the person back in after they've been healed, but that the healing has to be given by the Lord um, in between 13 and 14, basically. And what you see occurring with Jesus is that actually happening uh, in real time. Um, so, that yeah. Yeah, all right, so let's take a look now at the text. We're going to read the first part of Leviticus 14, which deals with the matter of cleansing for the lepers themselves, and then we'll talk about the cleansing for houses after a while. So Leviticus 14, beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop. 
and dipped them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with a log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy." The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil, and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his right hand in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waved to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering, and on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer, of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering. 
and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is to be cleansed. This is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. That takes us through verse 32 of the text detailing the instructions for cleansing someone who has been healed of a leprous skin disease. All right, Pastor Kilgo, lots of details there. Give us the, the simplified version. What are the basic steps that we're seeing here in Leviticus 14? Okay, so there's um, there's two sets, right? So one of the things to note right off the bat is that there's two sets. They parallel each other. And the big difference between one and the other is if you have someone who is poor, who's coming in versus somebody who's not. And so the Lord, as he does in many places, uh, gives uh, a, a modified version of the right uh, for the sake of the one who is poor so that one who is poor is not excluded simply because of their being poor. Um, within the right itself, you've got um, kind of three uh, three sections. Um, the the first section is the uh, dealing with the the birds, and then the next section is dealing with like uh, kind of the cleansing of the body. That's where you've got the shaving of the the hair and the the cleaning of the um, the clothes, and then the next section is the uh, the killing of the um, of the goat, right? So there, there's kind of these three individual sections that are all doing something there. They're all working together to get you to a particular spot. And within each of those, there's a whole kind of series of uh, rites that you've got to go through. And as, as we heard, just a ton of detail on very, very precisely what you are to do. Like it's even like you kind of chuckle as you're reading it. It's like you, you put the oil in your right, in your left hand, and then you dip your right thumb into it. Like it's, it's so immensely detailed. Yeah. Um, and every time I read texts like this, it always makes me think like how, how little patience we have today for kind of anything. I, I cannot imagine a congregation, any of our congregations sitting on any regular basis. Cause I mean, this is, this is every single time that a leper is being brought back into the community, right? This is not like, Maybe once a year this is happening. This is every time that a leper is being uh, brought back. So yeah. it, it, the the amount of patience that is involved in this by both the the priest and and it's in in reading on this, it sounds like there's there's probably a guy who was like kind of a specialist in doing this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and then also the leper themselves, right? It, it's not just simply like, okay, you look good, come on back in, um, you know, maybe like offer a little prayer, maybe sprinkle some some oil on you or something like that. No, there's this whole series that's going on, and, and there's reasons for that that we'll talk about. But I, I think one of the things to kind of consider in our own, uh, our own hearts and minds is um, what one of the effects that is, it's not intended, but one of the effects that happens in having the gospel in the manner that we have it is that it can breed a sort of impatience for the things that the Lord is doing. I think one of the nice things about all the ceremonies that are in the Old Testament is actually that it, it forces you to be patient. Nothing happens immediately, right? Um, and I think that's actually good for us. And, um, you know, I would much rather have the, the fullness of the gospel that we have now and have to deal with some impatience in, in our own hearts uh, so don't don't hear me wrong on that, but I I do think that it's something 
to consider when we read these and and to be a bit convicted in our own impatience. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, we part of the impatience perhaps is that we want it on our own terms rather than on God's terms. And that's something right. that comes through throughout the book of Leviticus is that the holiness that God desires you to have, if you're going to receive it in a way that won't kill you, then you have to receive it on his terms. And these are the terms that he sets. And yes, they do require patience, but the fact that he provides for that detailed explanation, I think is is a sign of his grace so that the priest knows precisely what he is to do, so that the person who is going to be cleansed and declared clean knows that he can, in fact, now approach the Lord in his holiness, participate in the, the meat that is going to be eaten there as a part of the, the peace offerings especially. He knows that he can go there close to the Lord's holiness, and he's not going to be destroyed, but rather he's going to receive it all as gift. And so the yes, we, we are right to rejoice in the way that Christ has come and fulfilled all of this, but not to the, the effect that we lose the reality that God's holiness comes to us as gift according to the manner that he sets. And we need to be able to hold on to that while at the same time rejoicing that you and I as as pastors aren't, you know, we're not a specialist in in declaring people clean from various skin diseases. Right. Well, and I think this is a good point, uh, the, you know, receiving what the Lord gives on his terms. Um, I, I think that this is something that gets missed a lot today. There, there's always this temptation to uh, to set everything up in the church on our own terms, right? We we want we want the the preaching to sound a particular way. We want the services to be conducted in a particular way, um, and and that's all kind of individual. And we want the Lord's Supper. Uh, I think a good example of this would be something like like open communion. One of the the ideas behind that is that you know this is just between me and God, and I want to receive uh, God on my own terms, and it doesn't matter if either. I'm of a different confession, or I'm a, in a state of impenitence. None of that really matters. I want to just receive him on my own terms, and we then ignore the way the Lord has actually given us his terms uh, to receive this. And to remember, at the end of the day, all this actually belongs to God anyway, right? Yeah. It is his sanctuary that you're entering. He gets to set the rules. And if one of the rules is that you have to have oil in one hand and use the other hand to apply it, well, that's the rules, right? And you may think that that's a silly rule, but it's not your choice, right? It's it's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid living in your in your parents' house, um, you may think that some of the rules are silly, but that that ultimately doesn't matter. And maybe they are silly rules. It still doesn't matter because they are in charge. It is their house, not yours. Now, I would I would say that none of the Lord's rules, none of his statutes and commands are silly. Right. I think that we don't always understand them. And I think there's a lot of them that uh, we we just don't have the the fullness of the knowledge to understand in their entirety. And so we receive them by faith. But they're not silly. Um, and they're still his, though. Uh, he gets to set all of this. So yeah. I, I think receiving what, what the Lord gives, how he gives it, like you said, on his terms, is a pretty important hermeneutic to live by. So looking at the terms, then, that the Lord sets here in chapter 14, the first part deals with the leper coming back into the camp 
though not yet into his tent and not yet to the tabernacle. And it, it maybe is worth remembering that in chapter 13, the one who's declared a leprous person is going to wear torn clothes. He's going to be letting the hair of his head hang loose. He's going to be crying out, unclean, unclean, crying, and, and he's going to live outside the camp. So that's where he's been. The Lord's going to now undo that. It's it's a bringing back really from death into life, but it happens kind of in these stages. So the first is to, to come back from outside the camp, now into the camp. Talk to us about some of the procedures, the, the rites that are involved in that step. Yeah, well, one one thing to kind of keep in mind, and that this shows up throughout the book of Leviticus, and it, it can be hard to, to catch all the time, is there's there's not only a, uh, a procession from uh, from being like unclean and unholy to clean and holy, but there's also a kind of a, a, a degrees of holiness of different places. And this is actually going to come out in this, in this text in basically kind of tracking where the leper is moving, uh, moving through. And so if you, if you run this kind of in reverse order, in general, you're going to get something like this. So you're going to be in the wilderness. That's the, the most unclean, unholy sort of place. And then you've got an unclean area that is outside of the camp. Uh, this is likely where the lepers are going to be hanging out. They're not in the wilderness, right? But they're in an unclean area outside the camp. And then you've got a clean area outside the camp. And then you have the actual camp itself. And then the homes of the people. And then the courtyard of the tabernacle. And then the holy place and the altar and the most holy place. So you, there's you're progressing as you're getting closer and closer and closer to the most holy place. Um, uh, you're you're going up in degrees of uh, cleanliness and holiness, and they're going to require different um, different rites, different purifications in order to be in that spot. And that's going to even show up with the homes later on in the in the chapter. So this first one is, like you said, coming into the camp itself. So the the leper would be outside the camp, uh, some unclean place. Now they're coming into the camp, and this involves uh, this first uh, purification ritual. Um, that you've got uh, two birds and you've got cedar wood and scarlet yarn or scarlet wool uh, and a hyssop branch or a bunch of hyssop. And hyssop is one of these things that that shows up only in a handful of places in the scriptures. And it's always important. Like, I don't know of any place in the scriptures where, where hyssop shows up and it's not particularly important and seem to be always connected to uh, to atonement, right? <laughs> So you've got it here. Uh, you've got it. Uh, um, you've got it in Psalm fifty-one is another big place. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And you've got it in John, where um, you've got a, a hyssop branch that they put a sponge on and they uh, put it up to Jesus' mouth for him to to taste the, the sour wine, right? And this is in in connection with him saying, "I thirst," right? So when hyssop shows up, and th there's a couple other times, but they're they're kind of connected. Um, so already we're, we're getting this, uh, this kind of atonement picture that's showing up here. Um, same with the, the scarlet yarn. This is yarn that's, or wool that's red, right? Um, and so then the priest takes, uh, uh, takes one of the birds and he, uh, he kills the bird, uh, over, um, kind of pure water basically. Um, and mixes the, the, the blood and the water. So you've got kind of an ablution and, uh, you take that, that water and you take the live bird and you got to 
kind of feel sorry for this the the live bird and all of this. You'd you'd tie the bird up to the hyssop and the cedar wood and with the scarlet yarn, and you dip it into the uh, the ablution, right? Um, and then uh, you sprinkle uh, this ablution onto the leprous person, and then you let the uh, let the bird go, right? Uh, so I don't feel so, so sorry for that bird then. You know, I mean, that bird gets to live, right? But it's also like it's it's covered in the the blood of its friend, right? So I mean, it it's it lives though. It it is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is the the very first thing, and you get this line: "He shall pronounce him clean and let the living bird go out in the open field." So so the the letting go of the bird is kind of this almost public sign that okay, the leper is clean. Yeah. Um and able to come into the camp. Like the, the, the leper is able to be in the camp now. So that, that's the, the first stage. Um, and then this moves into the next stage, which is the, uh, it's, it's a shorter little section, but um, he uh, shaves all of his hair. Um, and this is in 13, you get a lot of this language of like the connection between the hair and the, the disease itself. So that's what's going on there. But you, you shave all the hair off and you uh, clean your clothes because the clothes have been, uh, made unclean through the disease, uh, the hair is unclean through the disease, all this sort of stuff. So everything that is made unclean is now being either just destroyed or made clean. Um, and now he and his clothes are clean and he can enter in. And this is going to be, uh, my understanding is going to be connected particularly with the home, right? So now you can not only enter into the camp, but you can enter into your home again because you're wearing clean clothes and every kind of piece of you, including your hair that's going to grow back, uh, is right. going to be clean. There's right. also like a, a visible sign to this too, right? Can you imagine uh, you see a guy walking around without any eyebrows. Yeah. Well, you know that this is a leper who was just cleansed, right? right? But that's a good thing. Like that's something you can actually look at and rejoice in. It's like, oh, look, here's our, our buddy that we haven't seen for however long. He, he must not have leprosy anymore because yeah. he's he doesn't have any eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think, I mean, you know, when you look at the way that the leper was supposed to live as if he's in mourning because he's he's dying ahead of time in his leprosy, then what's given here at the beginning of 14, this is the death being removed. He's being restored to life. So all those those signs of death with, with the way he was to wear his hair and his clothes, that's being taken away now. Those, those signs of death are gone, and in its place is the life that God is giving. He gets to go back to his home you know, the, you have the seven-day waiting period, then something special is going to happen on the eighth day. That's when he's going to be restored to the life of the tabernacle. We'll we'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sean Kilgo this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 12th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 to 57 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we'd gone through the first couple parts of the readmittance, the cleaning of the leper, bringing him back into the camp. He's come back into his tent finally, but now on the eighth day, he's going to be able to come back toward the sanctuary to the holiness of God. Talk to us about the eighth day and then what happens for the leper on the eighth day particularly. Okay, so the eighth day is this uh, kind of the idea of the eternal day uh, in the in the scripture. So you've got um, you know, the, the creation of everything in seven, in six days, and then the Sabbath rest on the, on the seventh. And then the, the day that comes after that is kind of this, to be this eternal eighth day. And that's what we ultimately get in the resurrection. Um, there's a lot of symbology of this that, that comes out in the scriptures and comes into a lot of our churches. If you look at a lot of baptismal fonts, they've got eight sides to them. And this is this idea that you're being baptized into the eighth day, the eternal day. So you're baptized, uh, you, your life is hid with Christ and that hiddenness will be revealed on the last day in the glorious resurrection of all flesh. So um, that when the eighth day shows up, especially when it's an explicit on the eighth day, um, our, our radar should kind of perk up a little bit and see that there's something kind of interesting going on here. And the fact that this is connected here with actually being able to come into the temple again and worship and offer sacrifices and and praise to the lord well th this is very much connected with the the eternal eighth day in the resurrection where we are in the the actual temple of the lord um for all eternity uh with angels and archangels in our bodies all this sort of stuff so that so the eighth day is is connecting us into this um eternal reality and so in order to get to that, like I said, he can go into his house now, but he still can't get into the into the temple yet. So there's another purification ritual that's going to go, go on. Um, I mean, it is interesting that there's, this is not only a uh, kind of a lengthy process in of itself, but it's also a multi-day process, right? So you, you get the initial purification and then you're hanging around for seven days. And then on the seventh day, you go and you wash everything. And then the next day, you have this next purification deal. So you, you it's a uh, full week of stuff. And so this one is where you really start getting a lot of the very clear connections with uh, the Day of Atonement and with Christ and all this sort of stuff. So you've got two male lambs without blemish. You get that without blemish language that's uh, very clearly um, Christological, um, a ewe lamb, a female lamb, also without blemish, um, a grain offering, uh, three-tenths of an ephah flour, and a log of oil. So you get all this stuff together, um, and now you're going to have some more sacrifices, right? So you've got one sacrifice 
um, uh, for the guilt offering, um, one sacrifice uh, for the sin offering, and uh, a what, what they translate as a wave offering, but the 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 elevated offering, right? right? So that uh, the the grain offering. So you've got a, a guilt offering, a sin offering, a grain offering, an, an elevated kind of offering of praise. Uh, we talked about this uh, way back when we we're talking about some of this other stuff uh, in in uh, Exodus. And there's this um, that that language of the the elevation offering is similar to what we'd see in the divine service, where the pastor takes the offering plate and he elevates it before the the, the altar um, in thanksgiving and praise and asking the Lord to bless this gift that is being brought. Um, so that this um, and we'll we'll talk a bit about the the actual um, purification ritual that's going on here. But what this is doing is it's bringing into the into the temple. So the first set is taking the leper who is currently common or, um, or unholy and unclean. And it's moving them into now the next category over, uh, to be clean, but still common, still unholy. And now this, uh, second major purification, uh, by the priest is taking them into the third category which is necessary to be in the temple, and that is to be both holy and clean. So this is the, the first, the way you can think about this is the first purification is purifying them for their cleanliness, and the next one is purifying them for their holiness. And it actually does have to go in that order. You have to be purified, and then uh, uh, the word we would use is sanctified, right? This should be a familiar uh, word for a lot of our listeners. So this is the, the first one is the purification ritual, and this one is now the sanctification ritual. Um, and so the rest of this is going to be the particular details of how that sanctification ritual takes place. Sure. So with, I mean, and again, I know we need to, to look at the houses as well, but within those details, which ones do you find most significant and, and pointing, a, and I suppose all of them point us to Christ, which ones you, would you like to highlight? Well, the one that's fascinating to me is the um, the right earlobe, right thumb, yeah. right toe, because that's shown up before, and it shows up with the consecration of the priest. Um, and there's something to this, and I'm not, I don't know entirely what's going on, but my my kind of best shot at this is that uh, there is a connection between uh, the priest and the general Israelite in which, as the Lord's people, there is a common duty uh, to pray in the temple, to hear God's word in the temple, to offer sacrifices in the temple. These things have to be done in the sanctuary, in the holy place. Um, only the, the high priest goes into the most holy place, but you still, as the people of God, need to be able to come into the holy place to be before the altar, all these sorts of things. And so you have the same set of things that are occurring here with the leper as you did with the with the priest. It's the right earlobe, the right uh the right big thumb or big thumb, the right thumb, the right big toe. Um what's kind of interesting here is you have with with the priests, it's the um you get the blood and it's just the blood. The oil actually just gets poured over the entirely over the priest, right? 
um but the uh, uh here you get the 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 blood applied and then the uh, the oil applied on top of the blood right and so you get this uh, kind of twofold picture of the the atonement the thing that's taking the sin away and then that's the blood and then the oil the thing that's actually consecrating you as the lord's people again like you you belong to the lord that this is this this consecration uh act uh, the using of the oil so i i think of all of them that's the one at least for me that is the most interesting most fascinating it shows up a number of times uh through here but the in general the whole picture of um you know having the burnt offering and the uh, the sin offering, the the wave offering, all this that's going on, and how all of this then gets collapsed down into Christ Himself in the the once for all sacrifice, the once for all offering that is being done uh, at the cross. Um, to to not see that in here, I think, is to to miss the the main point of sure. this text. And so for us, like, what what does this do for us? Well, we we are. I mentioned baptized baptism earlier being baptized in the eighth day well we baptism is where we are sanctified by the lord that's where we are consecrated as belonging to him as his people and think about how the baptismal rite unfolds we use a lot of that language of being a child and belonging to a family and this sort of stuff and the same thing that's going on here with the leper is going on for us in our baptism um, having the atonement, not of a, of a couple of lambs, but of the lamb of God being placed upon us and not just on our earlobe or, uh, thumb or toe, but on all of us. That's the, the, the wonderful picture that we're actually clothed all of us in our baptism. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we we talked about how this there's this process, and so you get to come back into the camp, but you don't go to your tent for seven days, and then these things happen on the eighth day. It's it's somewhat striking that on in that process there's never quite the mention of going back to your tent. I think that's that's assumed, but the the main focus is on returning to the worship life of the people, and then you then comes and maybe the the chapter pushes us in this direction, because then come the matter of the houses, which they're not living in houses yet, they're living in tents at this point, but but maybe that's, maybe there's something there that before I, you know, I'm a part of the whole people of God, and then I go to my my own tent, my own family, as a part of that whole people, that, that close connection between the family life and the life of the church, I think, comes through in this chapter also. Yeah, th- this is something that I... I like to point out to people that when you're thinking about what the church is, the church is fundamentally the gathering of multiple households into a single household. So you have the household of faith. It's singular. Um, But that is comprised of multiple households, plural. So my household, the Kilgo household, comes to Redeemer, and it's joined with other households of other names. And now we're no longer the Kilgo household. We are the household of God. Right, we we actually that this whole thing that we're talking about earlier of like things that belong to God that this household actually belongs to Him, and so we're named as such. It's God's household, not the Kilgo household, and so this um, and that that's the more important one at the end of the day. That's the thing that we need to be uh, connected to. Um, that's going to then backtrack into the individual households and influence them, so that those the, the individual households 
live and function rightly because of what's being bestowed into the larger household. So with that thought of households in mind, that again is where Leviticus 14 takes us next. So we'll pick up the text again. This is beginning now in verse 33 of the chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with a live bird and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed, and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. That takes us through the end of Leviticus chapter 14. All right, Pastor Kilgo, talk to us about the examination of houses, what's going on in this part of the chapter. Well, so there's a number of similarities um, to the examination of a individual, um, you've got this deal where you you check and see uh, what sort of uh, leprous disease the the house has. I mean, just kind of think mold, and so you let it sit and you see is it going away. So you close everything up for seven days and then you come back and you see is it going away or is it spreading. And if it's spreading, then you 
you try one thing, it's the removal of the stones. And if that doesn't work, then you actually just destroy the entire house. Um, so we can give thanks that we don't have to do this any longer. Although I'm sure everybody knows at least of somebody who's had to basically like destroy their house on account of like, if you get a bad case of black mold or something like that. Mold remediation is, is kind of no joke. Um, but there's a, there's a kind of a fascinating thing that's going on with this. You, you get a whole diagnosis and then, um, you get the, uh, if, if the, if the disease in the house isn't, isn't spreading there, there's a, a consecrating in the house, but it's only the first part, right? It, it duplicates the, the purification, uh, for the, for the leper. Right. It's only the first part. And when you think about what the purpose of those rituals are, it makes a lot of sense. Because the ultimate purpose of the purification of the leper is that the leper can go back into the house of God and do the things that he's supposed to do there. The house is not going into the house of God. The house is staying there for the people to live in. And so the house just needs to be a clean place. It doesn't have to be a holy place. Um, in, in the, not, not at least in the same sense as the, the temple itself. It should be holy in a sense that all things are holy through the word of God and prayer, right. uh, as, as James reminds us, but it's not holy in the same way as the, uh, as the temple is. And the, we've got the, the corollary, our own homes should be holy places, but I think everybody would understand that our individual homes are holy of a different sort than the holiness of the Lord's house of the sanctuary of the church. The, it's of a different degree. And I, I think everybody kind of innately understands that. That's why you don't have a problem with your kids running around in your house. But then when your kids are running around in the sanctuary, you're kind of like, mm, maybe you should not run around in the sanctuary. Um, this is not the appropriate place to, you know, uh, be treating this like a jungle gym or something like that. Right. Sure. So, yeah, I, well, and I, I think, so when we talked about the distinction between clean and unclean meat, one of the, the primary reasons we talked about as to why certain meats are declared clean and others are declared unclean has to do with what the Lord has deemed acceptable sacrifices. So because he has called for accept, acceptable sacrifices of beef and mutton, then these are acceptable to, for you to eat at your table. Because you eat that at the Lord's table, you can eat that at your table. Because you don't eat certain things at the Lord's table, you don't eat those things at your table. And mm -hmm. so to see your household then as an extension of the Lord's household, I think is, is a lot of what's going on here. So if, if I am to be clean when I go to the Lord's house, then I want my house to be clean too. And that, that same sort of you know, again, the way that it works today maybe isn't as as strict in a certain sense, but it is very all-encompassing then. When I think about, okay, if, if my life starts with the Lord's household, then that influences every aspect of what happens in my household. Now, again, to be right. clean and unclean is, is centered in Christ for us, and not in, you know, what mold is or isn't in my walls, as, as bad as that might be, right? But, but right. that same overall principle that my household becomes an extension of, of the Lord's household, and I take those things from the Lord's household into my household, that still remains. And I think that's a, a really big point for us as Christians still. Yeah. So it's... Like, like you were saying, that the, the directionality of this is, is one of the important things. It's not that my, my home 
the holiness of my home is influencing the holiness of the Lord's home. Right. But the opposite, the, the holiness of the Lord's home is influencing uh, my home because that's where everything is flowing from or should be. And so I'm, and I think maybe the way to think about this is that we are being given something in the Lord's house. We are being given his holiness and his purity. Uh, and we are given to live according to that. Uh, we were talking about baptism earlier. And this is one of the things that we learned, the catechism on baptism, that the the old man should daily, by contrition or repentance, die, but also that a new man should daily emerge to live. How? In righteousness and purity, right? So we're given this righteousness and purity in our baptism. It's a daily reality, and we're given to live in that reality so that this is the reason why our homes should look righteous and pure is because it's living according to a reality that's actually bigger than the home, right? It's it's uh, it's like the, uh, you can think of at least what's in my mind, because uh, I'm a bit of a, a nerd, uh, is you've got like a, like a little force field bubble sitting around the, the church and it just starts growing and it starts encompassing other homes, right? But it, but its origin is, is in the church. Right. So the reason why the, these homes are kind of covered by this force field is because it's actually originating out of the church. And you've got a similar thing going on here. But I, I think one of the things that's important to note here, um, because this is, like you said, different than what we engage with, is... Uh, if my home is unclean, that actually makes me unclean and it makes me unclean for the temple, yeah. right? So then you have to go through this whole purification process and that happens elsewhere. Like if you are in the house and it's unclean um, while you're in the house, then you have to go and uh, go through a, a purification ritual um, because of the uncleanliness of your home, right? That's why this, this actually matters because everything is everything's impacting this. But at the end of at the end of the day, to see that this is connected with the worship life of the congregation of the people of Israel for us, our worship life in Christ, I think that's again one of the big things you you just have to see, or you're going to be missing the the main point. Sure, yeah, and even thinking about the way that the Lord speaks toward the beginning, where he he does tell the people that he's going to give this land of Canaan as a possession to the people, yet they, they really do remain tenants, maybe, as a way to think about it. The, the land belongs to the Lord, and he apportions it to his people as he sees fit, and he, he seeks to dwell among them in this land that belongs to him. And again, those are overarching realities that, again, help us to, I think, understand why the Lord cares about what's in their home and whether or not it's clean or unclean for the sake of them then going into the temple. And as you said, the if they are unclean in their house, that makes them unclean, unable to participate in the Lord's holiness as he gives it there in the tabernacle, later the temple. And so he he desires that they receive his holiness as a gift. Now, we got about three and a half minutes here, Pastor Kilgo, and we've we've talked about baptism and a number of ways that this connects us to Christ. What about with the matter of our our homes? How does how do we see a connection to Christ in this last section of Leviticus 14? Well, I think the the big way is this. Uh, kind of implicit exhortation that our homes should be places of uh, cleanliness and holiness, or to use uh, the other terms, our our homes should be pure and our homes should be sanctified. 
And again, to ask, like anytime we use the language of sanctification, we should just ask, well, does the Lord tell us how sanctification occurs? Uh, not just in the Old Testament, but in a broad sense. And the answer is yes. All things are sanctified. All things are made holy. Uh, and we should hear in that all things are are set apart to be used by God for his service through the word of God in prayer. And so if we want our homes to look like that, uh, one of the big things that that looks like is that the the word of God and the prayer of the saints is resounding in our homes. And the other name for that is home devotions, right? And you can ask any pastor, uh, you know, what's one of the things that, like every pastor that I've ever talked with, uh, one of the things that is most desired uh, uh, for the people that they shepherd is that their their home devotions would be uh, good and that they would be regular, um, and and that really does make a big difference when your when your home devotions are uh, are are holy. Um, it makes your home holy. It makes you holy. And it actually prepares you to receive well what the Lord is going to give you in his home, in his word, in his sacraments, to pray and to sing with everybody else. It um, there's Even though the origin of all that is in the Lord's house itself, there is this kind of interesting like way in which it feeds back. There's a feedback loop from the home back into the church. And I think that's one of the things we want to see in this. Yeah, well, and and if if you're concerned, well, how do I how do I do those things in my home, pastor? Then you might invite your pastor to come to your home. He's not going to check out whether you have mold or not, but but he will he will be glad to help you go through what a what a family devotion might look like there in your house. So so invite your pastor to your home so that he might bring the word of God in prayer to you so that again that feedback loop is established and that becomes something that you do at your home that you have at church and those things build on each other and it really is a beautiful thing when it happens. About a minute here for closing thoughts, Pastor Kogo. So one closing thought to reiterate what you said um, never be ashamed if you do not know what home devotion should look like. Um, if you've never been taught that, if you grew up in a home, like I grew up in a home that didn't do devotion. So I had to be taught what home devotions look like. There is no shame in that. That's part of what your pastor is here to do. And I'm sure your pastor would love to do it. The other thing is to, to just at the very end, make sure we're pointing at Christ again, uh, is you look through all of this and we mentioned this, you know, the, all these steps that are in here and you read this and it's like, this is really, really difficult to do. And to see that in Christ, uh, there's there's a, a shifting of this, that the difficulty is placed entirely upon God. Uh, the difficulty of our atonement, it is very, very difficult for our sins to be atoned for, so much so that God has to take on flesh and die. Uh, but for us, uh, it, it's, it's made easy because it's given to us through the Holy Spirit, uh, by faith, hearing his word and believing that word, given to us in baptism, sustained in the Lord's Supper, all of these great gifts that the Lord gives in the church, uh, this this is uh, the the shifting of the atonement being hard for God, but easy in a sense uh, for us. And so we can uh, give thanks uh, of that reflection in this text. Pastor Sean Kilgo is pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 to 57. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. It was wonderful. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus 14, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. 
Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.